What's going on, Collective listeners? How are you guys doing today? Hopefully you're ready for a new episode. We had an awesome episode today. Uh, Rob Rabina, he's the director of strength and conditioning at Ivy Rehab, uh, but he also is uh, in charge of their talent acquisition, hiring, uh, as well as a professor. So uh, wears many hats and obviously had a lot of great insight to offer. It was a really, really fantastic conversation. Uh, a little bit of baseball talk in there at the end, but the bulk of the conversation is really built around the qualities that he's looking for um, when it comes to hiring individuals who are going to work in this sort of combo setting of having strength coaches working with physical therapists and athletic trainers and um, obviously the facility that, that he's running and, and obviously what they're doing down there is, is fantastic. So um, hopefully you enjoy this episode and uh, you try to dig a little bit deeper into how we can continue to try to, you know, cohesively put together these aspects of, you know, trade the conditioning, athletic training, sport coaching, all that stuff. And uh, yeah, this one, this one covers it all. So enjoy. All right, what's up, Rob Rabina? How you doing, man? How's everything going? Anthony, doing good, doing good. Just Friday, so can't beat it. Friday. Can't beat it. Got a little Friday. Any big weekend plans? Are you guys? Uh, are you working on the weekends? Are you guys? You have a uh, no, don't work weekends. Um, taking my kids out tonight to go like rock climbing, like indoor rock climbing. Nice. So. That yeah, sounds trying to, trying to keep them busy. That sounds fantastic. Well, I think all all the strength coaches you're listening to this particular podcast are going to want to hear even more so now all about you and how you figured out a way to navigate the field to so that you don't have to work weekends. And uh, unfortunately, I'm fortunately I'm working. I'm I'm doing I'm doing well too. Like I'm not working weekends anymore, which is pretty sweet. So I can't, I can't beat it. So we're gonna we're gonna go through. But yeah, what I, you know, typically what I like to do obviously is just give give you the floor, give you a chance to obviously just kind of introduce yourself, um, tell your story. Right, you can start as far back as you'd like and just kind of let it fly yeah. and. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into obviously what you're doing now. So, um, yeah, sorry, you know, we'll introduce your, your little introduction and we'll let it roll. Yeah. Um, thanks for having me. First of all, this is exciting. Uh, so I'll just share my story. I, uh, went to Cabrini college, uh, which is like about like 40 minutes outside Philly. Um, so I went there, studied exercise science, uh, did a bunch of internships at, I interned at Villanova at a commercial gym. So, experienced collegiate strength and conditioning, experienced like personal training, group fitness, where I, you know, did everything from wiping machines down, checking people in, making smoothies, like, you know, doing all that, like nitty gritty intern stuff, which was good. Yeah. Um, then I went to grad school, went to East Stroudsburg for grad school. Oh, nice. In exercise science. So I uh, studied, you know, really dove into baseball. Uh, so my research was on baseball, which was published in 2019, entitled The Effects of Interval Training and Long Distance Running on Pitching Performance. Nice. Um, worked with the baseball and softball teams there as like a GA position. Mm. So really just like tried to dive into that sport as much as possible because that's what I wanted to do was work with, you know, overhead athletes, baseball players. Mm. Uh, and then to complete my master's degree, I, I was lucky enough to get an internship with Cressy Performance. So I interned with Cressy in 2011, and that was awesome. Awesome experience. Like, really taught me a lot. Um, you know, not about like you know, just a lot. Obviously, a lot of like nitty gritty S and C stuff, but a lot of the behind the scenes stuff, a lot of the mm -hmm. culture development. You know, how to talk to people. A lot of that stuff that like really isn't taught um, specifically yeah. in, in collegiate strength conditioning. Definitely not taught in the school. So yeah. you know, it was a really, really, really cool experience for me. Um, you know, came back. Came back home, um, actually was like the first strength coach at Cabrini, uh, where I started with like two teams. So I had like part-time job there, part-time job at ice rink, you know, trying to get started. Uh, it's tough. Yeah. It wasn't easy, but you grinded, you know, I had lucky enough, like had great support um, from my family. 
to, um, you know, live out my dream of becoming a strength coach. And, you know, I grinded there for a year. Second semester had almost all the teams working with me. And, and Anthony, you'll, you'll love this. Like I was training groups of teams in like the fitness center. So there was no Perfect. athlete only weight room with, you know, 20 racks, like, you know, sure. so it made it work, you know, it yeah. made it work. Um, really taught me a lot of just like how to manage a room um you know and how to just like accommodate as many people as possible with the given equipment demands mm. um after that i uh, got a essentially my like first full-time job um at maple zone sports institute which is like a baseball academy so i really wanted to kind of get back in baseball mm. um so this this allowed me the opportunity to you know be the director of performance and a you know ten thousand foot you know uh, performance gym with an indoor baseball field hitting cages pitching stuff um, you know, so was really entrenched in like, obviously baseball strength and conditioning, baseball development. Um, and I worked at that job for nine years during my nine years there, uh, worked with all levels of the baseball athlete, all different types of athletes, but obviously a lot of baseball players mm. from youth ages, so like 10, 11, 12, um, through high school, college and professional baseball players where, you know, at one point we'd have 30 to 40 guys, uh, pro baseball players in every day training. Um, with myself and my team and all the development coaches around me. Nice. So, um, yeah, so that was great. Worked there for um, for about nine years. And now I work at Ivy Rehab, which is a like strength and conditioning. The clinic that I'm in is like a strength and conditioning rehab combo facility. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm working alongside of, you know, four physical therapists um, where we're all sharing the same space and, you know, helping people transition out of pain into training, exercise, fitness. And, and here I'm working with a large range of people from people in their seventies. I'm working with athletes. I am working with, you know, uh, people that are there for ACL rehab and then they're coming over and doing some upper body stuff with me. And we're really working on bridging the gap for those people yeah. to have a good transition to return to play. And, um, you know, I'm also like teaching for, um, IV rehab. So I'm teaching a class. I'm also an adjunct professor at Cabrini. So it's uh, cool to come like full circle there where yeah. I was a student there. I work there and now I'm a professor there. Yeah. Um, so I do that. And I also am a professor at Widener university for their third year DPT students. Okay. Um, so I teach like physical therapy students as like a, as essentially I teach them strength conditioning. Sure. Um, you know, a lot of the SNC principles, programming, assessment, um, and then coaching. So, you know, I kind of do some teaching on the side, uh, real, real passionate about like helping students and mentoring students and you know, helping people get started in the field and, you know, just set, set them on the right path to be successful. Yeah. Um, because we're all in this to help people. And, and that's why um, I enjoy what I do every day. I'm able to make an impact on, on, you know, those around me to be successful and reach their fitness and sport goals. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. I think the teaching thing is such a crucial element, especially for coaches as they get older. Like I, I thought about doing that, um, you know, recently, and obviously I was just like, okay, we're going down that rap, that path, path, and it's like, all right, are you gonna get your PhD? You need your PhD to teach, kind of deal. And then, um, but yeah, I mean, you really set yourself up because I think, you know, teaching. It, it seems like teaching, and I mean, because obviously, like coaching is teaching in, in in some shit way, shape, or form, right? But like teaching in the, it's the same, right? yeah, but teaching in the classroom is, I think, is a, is almost a different element. Like I did a couple like 
kind of like um you know just step-ins yeah yep. yeah and it was like mm-hmm. fantastic i had so much fun and i'm sure it's not like always like that but in my mind i was like oh this is like a couple classes or whatever and i'm like man the kids really liked it we were like laughing having a good time we're like mm-hmm. but still having like mm-hmm. some productive conversation around like you know some of the things that i thought were valuable so yeah, I mean, I would love to hear your take. Well, first, uh, you know, I would love to hear your specific title at Ivy Rehab right now. What is your like official title? So my, my title is Director of Strength and Conditioning. Okay. Um, you know, we're in the process of like, uh, there, there's lots of clinics with Ivy Rehab. All across, there's clinics in South Carolina, Jersey, New York, PA, Ohio. Oh. Um, and some of those clinics uh, are set up and have space to offer fitness services. So, okay. you know, one task that I'm... That is, you know, part of my job is to, you know, hire and train good trainers and strength coaches to, you know, plug into other clinics so we can start to develop a model of rehab and training is the same thing in the same building. You know, when you walk into this place, you don't know who's rehabbing. You don't know who's exercising. Right. And that's kind of our goal. My goal, um, in addition to obviously training the people in the clinic that I'm at, but it's also to like, I want to, I want to set up other trainers in other clinics. For them to do what I'm doing. So sure. That way I'm not only making an impact on the people that I'm training, but I can make an impact on, you know, helping trainers get jobs and make an impact on other people. Sure. So that's kind of my, like, along with my, my, my teaching stuff that I do for Ivy and then my training. So yeah. those are my three, like, big responsibilities. Okay. And I guess my title is just Director of Strength and Conditioning right now. So, yeah. So. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, you're, you're a Director of Strength and Conditioning, but you're also essentially tasked with talent identification, right, and talent acquisition in Correct. some way, shape, or form. Correct. And then – um, you know, on top of that, obviously being a professor, which I think is super neat. So to kind of, to go back to that, before I get to my question about, you know, some of that talent acquisition, right? Like I'm sure there's probably some people listening and including myself, right. Who are like, yeah, what is, what does the teaching route look like? Right. Because, um, I think it's, it's like one thing to not only find it like really enjoyable, but it's also another thing that's like super beneficial for it's like, all right, at some point the body may not be able to have the impact it wants to like on the floor. Right. And maybe I need to step into the classroom to reach. Obviously it's like, you're getting, you're getting an hour and 15 hour and a half or whatever with, with young, you know, impressionable, you know, adults who are trying to figure out a way to get a better understanding of what's going on. And I think a lot of us can probably pinpoint a couple of professors that we're thankful of. And a lot of us can probably pinpoint a, a few professors that we really didn't, or maybe have learned some things, didn't learn some things from, or learned some things from that were like, okay, what, how does this fit into the bigger scope? Obviously it can be a little, um, yeah, I think it can be a little, little, little hectic when we don't really have like a full consensus on a lot of the qualities and things that we do with athletes here in America. So it's like, we got these professors now teaching. It's like, well, where do we stand on certain things? How do we find that? So, um, yeah, I'd love for you to kind of just comment on those two things, right? Like the route of becoming a teacher and becoming a professor for strength coaches who are thinking about going that route. Maybe they just have their master's right now. And they're thinking like, Hey, I probably got to get my PhD to teach. Cause outside of that, it seems like adjunct might be the only thing if you want to become like a full-time professor you probably need to have a phd and then when it comes to how you go about approaching that curriculum in the classroom right and like actually trying to give and relate and articulate good quality information to young adults who are super impressionable and obviously very new to the field yep yeah no awesome so how i got started and how i would recommend others get started obviously i don't have a master's degree like i agree anthony if you want to make this your full-time job and you really enjoy and want to continue to do research and publish really good articles to make an impact, um, you have to get your PhD. That's not something that I wanted to do. Like I always wanted to like be a strength coach first and then be a teacher, you know, second. Sure. Right? So uh, that only requires a master's degree. And you know, I my like goal when I was younger was like, hey, I want to work at a college and I want to teach at the college. So I can make an impact 
for all the student athletes, you know, that I'm working with, but also all the students in the classroom. So I'm seeing them in the weight room and I'm seeing them in the classroom. So obviously most of my, most of my jobs have obviously been in the private sector. So um, I've had to guest lecture a lot. So I would drive to Stockton, you know, a lot of my like, you know, just guest lecture there. I would go to this, this university, that university, and would just offer to guest lecture Mm. for free just to get experience so I could practice and make sure I liked it and, you know, put it on the resume that, Hey, I've done guest lectures at universities. Um, you know, so that, that's how I like got started and, you know, would always reach out to the professors that I knew and say, Hey, if there's any, any of these classes become available, I would love to Mm. help out in any way possible and just put yourself out there. What's the worst they say? No, right. You're back where you are. So you don't know until you, until you reach out, put yourself out there because that professor could be looking to shift their specialties to something else. So you don't really know, especially at a smaller school, you know, what the, what the, you know, the uh, department chair is looking for. So, um, reach out, you know, and, uh, they re- and I was after my relationships and doing that for a couple of years, they reached out to me like, Hey, would you be interested in teaching this class and that class? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and they're like, yeah, you can make your own, which was huge because you know, that was one thing. Like I wanted to teach people like what I knew and what my experiences were. And that's how I developed my classes to make them like the, the class that I teach at Cabrini is, is assessment and program design, Sure. which is what we do every day. Right. So, I'm um, teaching range of motion testing of hips, shoulders, you know, functional movement screen, performance testing, um, general fitness testing, right? So we're teaching people how to test and assess somebody before you begin an exercise program. And it's all lab based. You know, it's like, all right, let's go. We're going to head to the lab. We're going to hop on the table. We're going to test some hip and shoulder range of motion. Sure. Like we're practicing the skills, you know, of assessment, sure. right? Not just learning about it not just doing a lecture about it. So I try to make it as hands-on as possible because as you know, that's what this field is. So that's like the gist of my classes is like, Hey guys, like let's go into the gym. Let's go into the lab. Let's, let's actually do stuff. And you know, especially I'm working with seniors, they're graduating. Right. So they're entering the field or doing grad school in three months from now. Yeah. So I feel like my job is to prepare them for the field as much as possible yeah they're gonna be stepping in those internships and they probably already have right a few of them um yep. yeah i mean yeah they probably start their internships in the sophomore or junior year kind of deal yeah junior yep junior senior year spring okay. semester fall semester whatever it might yeah. be you know they they have some experience um so yeah it's just about you know putting putting the cap on that and helping them be prepared yeah do you do you feel do you and this is kind of like a side question do you feel sort of like being a teacher is somewhat of a a daunting task when you think of like all of the that's that's pretty reductionist thing to say but like when it when it comes to just like all of the things that we struggle with and the, the shortcomings we have in this particular field right like i and i know i know like when i say that some people be like oh what do you mean like i think we could all agree like there are definitely some shortcomings the things that need to, get, need to get worked on right there's a reason that we have this podcast to try to <laughs> try to solve some of those right if we can or at least create some discussion around them right so do you feel do you feel a little overwhelmed at times with like your there's almost like um this responsibility you have to to try to like I, I, I guess like I should preface was saying, like, I feel that sometimes whenever I'm communicating some sort of like piece of education that I want to impart on like a client I'm working with or anything like that, I feel this like, mm-hmm. all right, well, like, don't, don't, they don't need all of this information right now. But obviously, like when you're super passionate about something and you want to, you know, it's like, I want you to know this. I want you to know this so badly because I think, you know, it's like, do, do you feel that? Is it overwhelming at times? Do you, have you figured out a way to regulate that? I wouldn't say overwhelming, but I just feel like a responsibility almost to 
give others what I know. Yeah. Because I feel like I have a unique experience to to help others. Sure. You know, so yeah. that's really all I feel is just like, hey, I I think I know some things about training, <laughs> so I want to you know set up others on the right path to to be successful. You yeah. Know? Yeah. We all we all take bits and pieces from our experiences to develop you know what we're doing on a day-to-day basis so yeah i feel like it's kind of my almost my responsibility to help those around me to be successful yeah for sure no that's awesome yeah and so kind of moving into now like that that talent acquisition right because i think for a lot of coaches might be interested at least i was right when you talk about like because you're in a unique position where it's like you're not only hiring somebody who's just going to be sort of like an assistant strength coach at some university right you're hiring somebody who needs to encompass of like a wider range of of uh, a wide range of qualities. So yes. what does that look like? Right. Cause I bet somebody's wondering, well, I want to know like what kind of qualities do I need to at least obtain in order to try to achieve one of these positions at some way, shape, in some way, shape or form. And then um, I'll hold off on, I eventually want to get into like the overall structure and the dynamic of the place that you're working at. Cause it seems pretty unique and it seems pretty progressive, obviously in terms of like moving forward with new ways of thinking. But as far as just like figuring out who works well for the team, how do you make some decisions on that? Great question. I, I, these are the qualities that I'm looking for in somebody to be successful in this type of hybrid facility. They need to be able to work with a large range of clientele. And what I mean by that is you got to work with 12 year olds and you got to work with 60, 70 year olds. And maybe if you're, you know, seeing some high level athletes, be able to work with high level athletes. Sure. Yeah. Okay. And that's hard to do even that. Yeah. Right. Um, you have to be comfortable with training somebody who might be in pain right. and or might have an injury, which, again, is not for everybody. Right. Right. Um, and I think you have to have excellent people and soft skills because you got to be able to talk to people and relate to everybody, not just your college athlete. Right. Right. Got to be able to relate to Susie, who's 65, and then Tommy, who's 15 years old, and wants to get bigger. Why? So, <laughs> yeah. got to be able to relate to both of those people, which is hard. It is. It is difficult. I'm laughing because I feel like every single time I'm trying to describe, like I always go with the name Susie when I'm describing someone who's 65. I don't. I don't know why. I'm like I'm always. Yeah, I'm always like I'm always when I because I, I feel like I give that specific example sometimes. I'm like, oh, like when we're doing this, like imagine you have Susie who's 65 and she's trying to swing a kettlebell, and then you have like you said like Tom. So yeah. Anyway, sorry. Keep going. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, you know the soft skills are important. Um, and then obviously like under, you know, before we get into like the logistics of the training model, but like got to be able to do assessments, you know, because we're, we're writing customized programs. So you have to have assessment skills to be able to assess range of motion, right. range of quality, whatever assessment tools we're going to use. Sure. Um, you know, so that those are the, those are the types of skills that I'm looking for as a coach that can have tremendous soft skills is, is probably the number one skill that I'm looking for. Yeah. Secondly is like, Got to be comfortable working with people in pain and injury hmm. and, you know, got to work with a large, large range of people. Right. Yeah. And then, and then got got to be able to do assessments. Yeah. So those are the, those are the people that I'm looking for. And because I've been in the, in the area for, you know, 10, 11 years and I've had two to three interns every semester and I've been teaching and I've been making an impact on those students, I have helped a lot of great coaches. Sure. either become physical therapists, enter school, become strength coaches, become personal trainers, 
right? Go work for pro teams, whatever they wanted to do. I was along for that journey early on. So I have like a network of people in the area that like I have trained myself either in the classroom or in the gym. Okay. So yeah. I already know who are good trainers before they even come in for an interview. Sure. Yeah. And so there, uh, do you try to do a lot of sort of like in-person or not in-person, in-house hiring, right? Like someone who's obviously developed, come through the ranks. Obviously they've seen the system, right? They understand how you work, right? That's typically, and I would assume that anybody who, and I'll let you kind of elaborate on that, but I'm assuming all of these qualities that you're talking about are things that are, that these people possess, right? Like a lot of, cause I was going to ask, I'm like, well, thinking to myself, well, he's worked with a lot of people who obviously gone on to work on, and, and, and I say like high level jobs. I don't, I don't mean that like high level versus like low level, meaning like, oh, like, you know, if you made it to like the big leagues. So like you're in the, working in the MLB. So like we, we all know like what I mean when I say that, I think it's just more so, you know, just high quality professionals, right? Doing really good work wherever they're at. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. But I would assume that all of these people who you've obviously seen go through your ranks and then obviously go on other, other places possess these same qualities, right? Some of the things that you're looking for in that talent acquisition. <clears throat> that's correct. And okay. that's where, when I have, that's why it's important to run a really good and successful internship program. Mm. Like I spend some time with interns yeah. because I want to make my life easier down the road when there's a job opening at somewhere and either yeah. I'm hiring or another trainer or therapist to reach out to me and say, Hey Rob, I need a coach. Who do you have? Sure. I can then give them someone right away on the spot. Right. Because they know students know that, you know, I run a, a pretty successful and good internship program to, to help people be successful. Sure. Yeah. Um, and I guess the flip, the flip side of that, I'm starting to think is I, I do want to start at least during the podcast, I try to, I want to start giving a little bit of like that alternative view to things, right? Because I think it's funny, like I, I recently, I have a few friends who went through some interview processes, right? And there's, you know, you know how it works in college football, right? There's always, everything's, the wheels are always turning, right? So, um, you know, and a couple of them went on some interviews, right? And they're like, you know, some were really great. And then some they were like, oh, I thought I could have done a little bit better here, whatever the case may be, it happens all the time, right? Um, what are some of the shortcomings that you see in terms of some of the interviews that maybe you host or have hold, held? And obviously you think, ah, it could have been a little bit better here. Could have been, are there some commonalities? Is it always something different, right? Or but somebody, I guess trying to get out ahead for some of the listeners of like, hey, if you're going to go on one of these interviews, here's some things that we could potentially avoid, obviously, when you're dealing with and interviewing for someone who's looking for like a wide range of, of physical and, and, you know, psychological abilities. Yeah, I, I, it's very hard to describe, Anthony, but I want someone that has really good feel. Yeah. And that I can have, and that I can have a conversation with. Right. And when we're having a conversation, they're not talking about themselves. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're talking about how they can help others because again, that's a common theme that I keep bringing up because that's what we do. Right. So, you know, that's some, that's what I'm looking for when I bring somebody in to say, Hey, like, you know, this is the space, blah, blah, blah. Do you think you can do this? How do you feel? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like I want to, I want to see them be confident. Right. But I also want to see them have good feel and understand like what they're doing and how they're going to be doing it. And, you know, when they go meet the rest of the team, it's 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 not awkward and sure. it's an easy conversation because that's what you're going to be doing every single day. Yeah. As a therapist might have someone who's coming in for shoulder pain, but they want to work out. Well, let's go talk to our trainer and strength coach and see how we can integrate together. Sure. Yeah. And you have to have a, an, hey, I'm Rob. Nice to meet you conversation, right? Yeah. So if you can do that you're going to be successful in this type of position. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I was just thinking about that too, actually, before we hopped on the podcast, I was trying to, I was trying to like a lot, I was trying a lot of percentage and just like designate a percentage of like 
how much of like the success you have with any client is based on like your personality versus the actual program that you're running. And it's funny because funny because like I, I know that like every I feel like everyone says it all the time now. It's like you have the best program but if you don't know how to implement it and you don't have the you know the soft skills to be able to do it. Like, so like I feel like that's and that's good. Like it, it seems like something that's really taking on. Like people are starting to understand that it's not just about like the X's and O's. Obviously, you have to have these these soft skills. But I was trying to like I was trying to designate a percentage. I was like, is it seventy percent personality? Is it thirty yeah. percent skill? Is it like eighty yeah. twenty? You know what I mean? I'm sitting there thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. You know, but I do I do think it's it's a large percentage because i wonder like how many like like you know i've worked with certain clients where i'm just like yeah i mean like i don't think i'm doing anything like that crazy and like from a technical perspective i do some very simple things but i think that we must be they must be still sticking around and we must be still working together because we have a connection a dynamic connection right like we've developed a relationship you know and i think that that's that's kind of uh the interesting piece of it so yeah is, is that is that obviously i'm assuming that that's something that you feel pretty strongly about as well given the particular environment that you're going to be working in, right? like creating an environment where you know these conversations can take place and there's a little more openness and, and welcoming piece of, of, of uh you know sort of elements of that absolutely and people you know, potential clients or anybody like they're buying you. Yeah. That's what they're paying for. Right. There's a ton of trainers within a mile radius of me. What's separating myself from all the other trainers, you know, sure. obviously the facility or in the location, the equipment play a little bit of a, of a play, but what's the most important piece is, you know, they're, they're, they're buying you. They have to like you because mm. they're going to be coming in to see you two or three times a week. So, you know, you kind of have to get people to like you in order <laughs> to train with you. Yeah. Um, you know, and you have to, uh, you know, when you're selling training, you, you need to know what, what they want. Yeah. So, you know, I've been working in the private sector for a long time. Like, you know, the, I, this is a great example. I had someone come in the other day. They're like, Hey, I'm, I'm interested in training. You know, they just, they came in for therapy. I see you over there training. Like the first thing they asked me was how much is your training cost? Mm. Right now. Do you think I told them how much my training costs, Anthony? <laughs> no. How much is your training? Worth? That's not, that's <laughs> not, I did not answer his question. Mm. Right. Yeah. And instead what I said was, hi, you know, George, uh, Tell me a little about yourself and what you're looking for and mm. how I can help you. Sure. Yeah. And then he just starts talking. Oh, well, I'm looking for this and that and this and that. And then I say, oh, I can definitely help with that. Mm. Would you like to get started with an assessment and evaluation? Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. So, you know, being able to do that and understand that uh, and just get people to, you know, like you and buy your services uh, is obviously a really important skill and you can't just be the meathead strength coach. Like, Oh, I'm, I have great programs and you know, we do, you know, uh, conjugate programming and no one cares about that. Right. Yeah. No one cares about that. Yeah. You know, so just let people know that you're there for them. That's what's most important. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I do have a question about some of the interviewing stuff and this may, this may be a little bit too deep of a conversation to go down, but I was wondering about like behavioral interviewing, right? Because obviously you have these qualities and it might just be you, Rob, you, you step into these interviews and you just, you're looking for the conversation. Like you're just looking to have a, obviously have a flow. You have a few things that you want to target for sure. But, um, 
specifically when it comes to like the the quality of wanting to help others, right? Because I think every like every person I interview on the podcast, right, they say the same thing. It's like, ah, oh, listen, like I just I want to have an impact on others, and I genuinely believe, like I, I really feel like we've had like some really really great people on this podcast. So I genuinely believe it when I say that. But then when you do like a little dissection, I feel like there's times where it's like. If you really think about what it means, like help someone else is like, all right, are we genuinely helping other people because of the fact that like we re- like really, really care about like their particular production or is it like, is it sort of like this like selfish thing in, in a way where like we feel good about ourselves because of the fact that we're helping others and like it just kind of like by default is a, is a virtuous thing to do. Um, I guess like how do you go about, excuse me, like in your interviews sort of like asking the right questions to kind of go down that path of understanding like, oh, this person legitimately cares about just having an impact on somebody else, right? Like, how do you kind of like decipher between the two? I I love to ask this question. And I think this helps me answer your question is, tell me your vision. Hmm. Where do you see yourself in a year from now? Where do you see your role in this company a year from now? Yeah. Right. And when you, when you try to project a vision for somebody, they will really give you an answer of whether they're in in this for the good or for the bad and whether you think that they can be successful because what you want is your visions to be aligned you might you might not get there right away sure right? you might have different paths to get to the same vision sure but at the end we need to have a common goal in mind we're all chasing the same thing and if you're talking to somebody and you hear that then that tells you that, hey, I, I can work with this somebody because we have the same goals in mind. Sure. Yeah. And, you know, whatever that goal is, depending on your setting, depending on where you're working or who you're working with. Yeah. Right. Whether it's win a win a championship, conference championship, if you're in college or whatever. Yeah. Right. Um, just make sure everyone has the same goals in mind and yeah. your product, your service, your staff development is going to be pretty successful. Yeah. And so now I'm kind of wondering, cause I guess like this, you know, not to make this about me, but so like, I think about that, like pretty often I'll think about like, what is my vision? And I try to set out like yearly like objectives. Right. So like I just started a new job and I'm coming up on a full year working here. So I'm like, I view my first year in any position as sort of like, well, I guess this is how I kind of want to ask this question and I'll give like a little preface and then I'll let you kind of take the, take the reins, but it's like, all right, so what are, what are some like good visions and good models for people who are just starting new positions or interviewing for new positions, right? Not necessarily to answer the, the question that you're going to ask correctly. That's not what this is about. The, the answer is like, for a lot of people who are like, well, what should my vision be, right? Like, what is my vision supposed to be? Like, how, what is my five to 10 year plan supposed to look like? Because I wrote it down once, right? And then it constantly changed, right? And then, and, you know, I think your desires change, your goals change at times. It didn't constantly change, but there was a, there's a crossroads between like priorities and, and desires sometimes, I think. But I think like, whenever I start something, I just dig my feet in and I'm like, I'm going to be, I'm going to be an intern for like a year. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just going to like settle in and really just like grasp this and understand this. But from there, right. It's like, you know, you're getting to the point where you're like, Oh, well, what am I, where am I going? That kind of deal. So like, what do you, do you, what do you think? Like, and if we can kind of devise like what maybe, I don't know, maybe like a two to three year vision, right. We'll start small, right. For like somebody who is embarking upon a new journey, a new challenge. Um, if I was to, if you were in that situation, Rob, like how, how do you approach it? Like, mentally as opposed to i guess the word would be like you have like these like specific sort of like objective outcome based things right but more so like what do we want to how do we want to put together a vision based on like our behavioral goals right like behavioral outcomes things like that yeah what does that look like for you i think that's just simple goal setting you know and that can be anything from like personal professional Mm. 
And you need to have short-term goals, long-term goals. Your short-term goals can almost be steps to get to your long-term goal. Mm. Right? So I like, I like using that as like, I want to get small wins so that I know that my path is being successful. I know my goals are being hit. Sure. Now that'll help you or me stay on track to reach your long-term goal. So you need to see small wins. Um, that can be anything like, you know, if we're talking professionally, it could be a numbers based goal, X number of evals, clients, revenue, etc. Right. It could also be just like, Hey, let's, or social media goals. Like let's put out X number of content this week or, you know, like whatever goals you're looking for, all of those things are helping you reach your goal of, Hey, I want to become, I want to hire four trainers this year. Well, how do I hire four trainers? I need to make sure that, you know, everything that I'm doing on a day to day basis is repeatable because that's what we're going to hire in the process and the logistics and the operational stuff is going to follow. Sure. So that's kind of how I look at that is like, let's set up good short term goals for yourself, hmm. which will align with your long term goals. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a great answer. I think like that's, and which is tough to do, right? It's tough to look at small wins and like only focus on those small wins because everything, everybody's trying to think big picture. And I think it's funny when you come to the end of like maybe a two to three year plan, you kind of see how like everything that you mapped out in those two to three years, maybe it like did or didn't go exactly the way you planned, but you're kind of, you kind of like assess and you're like, you piece it together. Like, okay, it made sense as to why like this happened and that connected to this and that bridged off of this and kind of built into that. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a fantastic answer. I think it's good for anybody to because I, I do think the first time that I actually wrote them down, like legitimately wrote them back. I think we all have in our minds like what we think our goals are and what our desires are. Yeah. But if when you actually go to like say like my brother was like, dude, go write out your priorities. Like literally, just go sit down, pen and paper in your own room. Like just just go do it. Like you, you might surprise yourself. You know what I mean? And um, and I did because I realized that my priorities and then what my goals were for my career. I had a little, there was a crossroads there, right? I was like, okay, well, the goal is like, stay as close to my family as I possibly can, right? And then my, you know, like, that was my priority, right? And my goal was to become like, you know, division one strength and conditioning coach. I was like, well, <laughs> there's some, there's right. some confliction Sorry. there. You know? A little yeah, bit of a conundrum. No doubt. No doubt. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, if you wanted to kind of, you know, comment on that and then, and if you want to, I'd love to give you a chance to obviously describe, you know, specifically some of the models that you're using at Ivy Rehab and, and just co sort of, cause I mean, it's a fascinating concept. I know it's probably not like new, but I still think it's like super new considering like where everything else is in strength and conditioning right now. So, um, and I, I love the idea of collaboration, cohesion amongst like all different disciplines. So I would love to hear like how you guys are going about approaching that and just your thoughts on like what you're actually able to accomplish and how you're going about doing yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So essentially our training model here anthony is um somebody comes in you know if they're if they're coming in to work with me we will go through an initial assessment the assessment will be about an hour now this will change depending on the person but it goes something like this we'll sit down initially five to ten minutes and just start to build rapport you know that's where i talk less listen more uh gather some baseline information right do some range of motion testing do some functional movement screen testing. If they're an athlete, we'll do some performance testing. And then we get a mini workout session in where we'll look at some big patterns, your squats, your deadlifts, your lunges, your pushups, your rows, right? Um, and just see what they can do. See how they do it. Look at their exercise technique. Um, you know, so, and then we sit down at the end and we recap and talk about it. And we go over your areas of strengths and weaknesses. And we decide on a plan. Because at the end of the day, like, I'm just helping write the client their workout program. Sure. Yeah. 
So I want to make sure that they're on board with their workout program or they're not going to get buy-in and you're not going to be successful. Sure. Um, after that, they would come in in small group settings. Like the most people I can see per hour is about 10 people mm-hmm. just due to space. Um, so we'll see anywhere from like two to six to seven, eight people, you know, an hour. Uh, they're all on customized workout programs. It's a variety of people. Mm-hmm. And myself and I have another trainer who we kind of will roam the floor and coach everybody through their programs at the same time, right? So everyone is getting like what they want, what they need, and they're training alongside other people. And, uh, you know, we'll reassess after four weeks and write another program. Sure. Um, So that's kind of like our training model is semi-private with an assessment and a customized workout program. And, um, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of how we do it. And people love it. And so a lot of these people that are coming to you, like some of them come obviously with some limitation restriction or whatever the case may be. Some are, some are probably like actually coming from off of an injury or whatever. Are are some of these people just completely healthy though? And they just want to train? Oh, I do see a mixture of both. Okay. So we'll see a mixture of people that are like healthy and just want to train. Okay. Right. And then we'll see people that are hurt Mm. or in pain or, you know, are again, have had a serious surgery and, you know, they're working with PT and they're working with me. Mm -hmm. So we do see some of those, uh, a lot of those actually. And, um, you know, I'll get some people that are like, Oh, I want to wait till I'm done PT to exercise. I don't love that. I think that's one message we have to try to try to get across to to people. And that's just educating them on, Hey, you should always be exercising. Sure. Yeah. You know, there's always something you can do. I understand you're in pain. I understand it doesn't feel good. But there's always something you can do in the gym to move, to sweat, to get an exercise session in. Sure. So, um, you know, we'll get some people that, you know, we'll wait till they're out of pain. But again, I don't love that. And uh, and then people that just want to come in and get after it. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty solid. And so when it comes to the actual rehab clients where obviously there's going to be some communication between yourself and like a, an athletic trainer or sportsman, whatever the case would be like, how's that? What's that like that layout look like in terms of like the structure, the hierarchy and like how communication goes down between you yeah. and other people at the at the uh, at the facility? Yeah, 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 I think we are always talking about all of our clients all the time. Um, you know, so some of the older older clients that we have, like, hey, they're still coming in to work on their lower back pain. So they'll see the PT for some manual, some light, you know, some light mobility, some light movement stuff. Right. Um, and then they'll come over right after that and then they'll start their, their strengthening or their workout session with me. Sure. Um, so that's that a lot of people seem to like that flow yeah. of their, you know, PT exercise session combo hybrid, you know, type of workout. Yeah. And um, myself and the PTs, we're, all, we're, all, we're always talking and we always are, you know, we, we all understand each other's lane. Right. We always stay in our lane, right? So understand, like, I can see what they're doing in therapy. Right. We're all in the same building. It's a big open rectangle, so there's no hidden rooms. Or, <laughs> you know, that, none of that We're all in the same spot seeing each other work. Right. So the PTs are seeing me work. I'm seeing the PTs work. We're communicating, like, all right, all right, Rob, this guy's ready for you. Like, all right, let's get going. Like, how mm. you feeling today? Like, PT will come over. Oh, we worked on this and that. Mm. Great. All right, let's continue. Let's go through our workout. So. Yeah. There's just a constant flow and, and visuals that I can see what they're doing and we communicate as well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. And so when it comes to sort of 
I mean, obviously, like any successfully run facility, there's going to be some things that you guys are constantly assessing to try to figure out, like, we need to do this better, like, we want to do this better, right? What are some of the things that you guys think you do really well and some of the things that you personally, maybe not for your, for your facility in particular, but just what you would think and imagine for somebody who is trying to run uh, a model similar to yours that they would need to really focus in on that you've seen some some shortcomings with that you would want to continue to, like, try to bring up as far as, like, a target area, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'm gonna answer the part that we need to improve upon. Okay. First, um, I think the area that we have to improve upon is like, this, I guess is more of like a goal of mine is like, someone calls in, this is probably insurance issues, like someone calls in and say, hi, I'm shoulder pain. I got referred from a doctor to see you for shoulder pain. Yeah. You know, well, okay, we'll go through insurance, schedule your eval, start your therapy. I almost want to see a model where it's like, hi, I'm here for shoulder pain. You know, okay, great. You're going to see your therapist and your strength coach and trainer mm. at the same time on the same day. And those two people are going to work together to craft a plan for you to be successful. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think, like I think more of the hybrid model where you're seeing someone at the same time on the same day mm. is something that I think we have to do a little better job of part, part of that is hard because of insurance. Sure. You know, um, so we have to battle that a little bit, but uh, I think that's one thing we have to, you know, work on and continue to figure out a best way to, to make that happen. Yeah. Um, but and then one thing we do really well together is I think the like post-surgical patients, like, you know, we have like, like three or four ACLs and they come in for therapy. And as soon as they feel comfortable to exercise, that could be three weeks, two weeks. We're doing upper body. Sure. So they're coming in for therapy, coming right over me right after and doing some upper body. Sure. And then when the PT gets a good baseline of some strengthening activities for them, you know, I'll take over the lower body programming. PT will continue some plyometric return to running, jumping, sure. you know, type of activity. So I think that coordination of care is we do a really good job of yeah that's awesome that sounds great it sounds like that 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 sounds like something where like when you guys finally see all that come together you'd be like all right i can go to bed at night look myself in the mirror i'm feeling like pretty pretty dang good about what we got going on here yeah Yeah. um one question i was thinking of is so to go back to what you said you kind of wanted to work on right you see like your pt and your strength coach maybe your athletic trainer kind of like all together right just and I'm wondering what you think, because I, I think I have in mind like what that would feel like for a client and like the positivity that can come from that. But what do you think the client would be thinking, right? If that's their first interaction where it's like, hey, immediately the first like sort of exposure and their first experience with you guys is like seeing Rob, seeing the PT, right? You're seeing all these people and they're just genuinely just caring about you, right? Like, what do you, what do you think that the client would be feeling? Cause I'm assuming that's what you're going for, right? Is like what you can actually provide to these people in terms of feel right off the bat. So yeah, what, what's your, what is your, what do you kind of envision them being able to feel in that moment? I envision the client feeling comfortable. Mm. I envision them feeling like they're in the right place for their needs. Right. I envision the client uh, having the utmost trust in myself and the therapist to help them reach their goals. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of what I envision. Um, and I think that'll also help crack some of the like stigmas of strength and conditioning coaches of trainers Mm. where people, you know, people have, yeah, you tell like someone you don't know what you do and they have no idea what the heck you do. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm a strength and conditioning coach. They're like, 
cool, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? So I think, I think this will help just like, you know, I can get in front of more people to help educate them on proper fitness and exercise training or strength and conditioning. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I feel like I'm, I feel like I still get that and I'm probably going to get that for a little while. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm going to strength and conditioning. But now they, they made it worse because there's so many terms now. So you're kind of like, ah, uh, which one do I go with today? Right. <laughs> Personal yeah. trainer, sport performance, physical prep. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. But, yeah, I, but I, I agree. Like, I think so. Like when I was working in collegiate sports, that was something that I thought would be super valuable. Like when I'd hold some sessions, I'd be like, all right, Maybe we're doing something that's like revolving around some sort of like movement skill, whatever the case is. Right. And I remember working with women's lack specifically when I was at UConn and I was like, Hey, it'd be helpful if we had some of the assistant coaches here because we're getting into a point in, you know, in their phases, obviously we're really starting to work on some specialized movement that requires like actual competition movements that are going to be taking place on the field. So why not have me out there and you guys out there, right? Like we're coaching these because we're, we're all coaching movement at the end of the day. And what do you think that, you know, all the, all the women on the team are going to think they're going to be like, well, I see my strength coach out on the field coaching us at the same time as I see my sport coach out on the field coaching us up and our athletic trainers over there. Um, and, you know, she has an understanding of like, what's going on with everybody who's not able to perform at a, you know, a really high level right now. And, you know, in terms of like their health. So like, she's doing variations of what we're able to, and they're probably thinking like my thoughts would be like, they'd be sitting there thinking, wow, I got a good operation going on here. Like these, there's a lot of communication. There's a lot of cohesion. Right. So like, I trust this, this feels right. So that's why, that's what I was thinking when I'm thinking like, you know, Hey, you get that mm-hmm. client right off the bat. They're probably thinking like, all right, we got, I'm in, I'm in good hands. Like I'm at least in, I'm at least in a place where people are like, have a, have a consensus and they care. Right. Correct. Yeah, which is Correct. fantastic. And it's, di- and it's different. And it's different. You know. Mm. Again, I, I I think this is some. This is like I I think this is a new, almost job market for potential trainers and strength coaches to work in is these combo facilities and. Yeah. You know, uh, I think it's I think it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so without I, I want to again be respectful of your time, but I do I do have some questions on the research you did with the long distance stuff with pitchers and, yeah. and baseball. So, baseball stuff, yeah, uh, so yeah yeah so um. If you kind of want to just, you could just talk about that a little bit and some of the, yep. you know, your findings, some of the major takeaways or whatever. Yeah. And if I have any questions, but I do think, you know, I, I'm just imagining any listener being like, uh, is he not going to ask about that? Because it sounds like fantastic <laughs> yeah. stuff. So, so yeah, I mean, um, you know, just, yeah, let it fly. And uh, any, yeah. anything I pick up on, I'll, I'll obviously just, just ask, write some questions down. Yeah. Base, baseball conditioning, um, the quick, quick and dirty of my research, there is no significant difference between the modes of conditioning. Okay. Which is good. Right. Which means we we do we can do whatever we think we need to do to help the athlete in front of us. OK. Um, so but when I look at developing conditioning for baseball players. Right. Obviously, the sport is is one of the fastest motions in all sports during baseball. So you better you better train the body to move fast. Right. That includes sprints, jumps, med ball things, any dynamic effort work. Right. All that's really important to train. That anaerobic type of move fast conditioning. Sure. Um, the other the other side of the conditioning for baseball that kind of takes a bad rap is like the long distance running or the poles. Sure. Um, you know, I think that is is done to was done traditionally to like flush you know flush runs and you know after you pitch let's go for a pole run. Um, you know, I think I think the idea of just moving around after you're sore is the right idea, but I feel like just running isn't the best way to get that accomplished. Sure. Right. At the end of the day, we're just trying to recover this person and bring them back to their baseline so they can perform 
at a high level. Right. So, you know, how I like to do that is almost like a recovery circuit. Mm. It's essentially like, you know, like, let me, let me back up. If you're, if you're training the aerobic system, right, which is just your moderate intensity, you know, RPE five to six, uh, 120 to 135, you know, heart rate, um, you know, you, I, 45 to 60 minutes in length. Um, you know, that's the type of aerobic training that I would do for some players early off season. Mm. And uh, how I do that is eight to 10 exercises ranging in intensities. And each exercise is accomplishing a task, whether it's improving hip internal rotation, shoulder internal rotation, um, you know, hip mobility, ankle mobility, right? We can throw in hip and shoulder range of motion exercises uh, to provide them variability to do different things. Mm. We can add in some sprints, some low level plyometrics, right? Med ball tosses, um, things to get them to move a little bit and sweat a little bit. So that aerobic circuit, you know, if we're in season and we're cutting that down as a recovery workout instead of poles, you do something like that for 10 to 15 minutes. Mm. And you're going to feel really darn good after that. Sure. A lot better than them just running. Right. So you see all the things that we get accomplished in that 15 minutes compared to just running, which only accomplishes heart rate at a certain range, um, RP at a certain range, you know, and you're working the legs through reciprocation. Like that's all we're getting. Those are all the biomechanical and physiological adaptations that we're receiving. Sure. So, you know, I think you have to monitor resting heart rate for players. Mm. Um, you know, even though baseball, again, is a very power-based sport, if your resting heart rate is high, you know, 70 range, 75, um, you know, you're not, you have to play every day. So, yeah, albeit your sport doesn't require a high aerobic system, mm. you still have to have a good function aerobic system to help your body recover from game to game to game to game to game to sure. game. Sure. Because you play a lot of games. Sure. So that's where the importance of an aerobic system comes into play so that you can recover well and then produce high-intensity bouts of pitching, throwing, or hitting. Sure. So that you know, that's the like quick and dirty on some baseball conditioning for you. Yeah. Early off season, do some aerobic training, progress right to just moving fast, anaerobic based sprints, jumps, med ball, dynamic effort work. Sure. Yeah. No, I like that. I like I, I specifically like the ten to fifteen minutes in season too, because obviously it's like I mean that's you gotta imagine like that probably totally shakes up anybody who's listening to this podcast and from what like you said like the typical I mean, same thing when i was playing high school ball is like all right yeah you just pitched yesterday go run your polls today or whatever we'll see you in like three to four days kind of thing right so um right. but i think like specifically touching on like the qualities of like what was just used right is it's like anything else really it's really you know it's not like anything like crazy if you think about it right it's like all right what did we just use right and I'm like okay well let's let's try to use the same things that we just used you know that caused the stressor to provide some sort of recovery as well i think is a really good concept kind of a rule of thumb i forget like where i started using that but i think i always kind of thought that that was a you know a good general rule of thumbs like okay well if we're gonna you know if we're you know receive some stress for all these places yesterday let's try to provide some recovery to those same places today um but yeah no that's awesome i really like that a lot i think that's a different perspective too for sure um and I guess uh, we're coming up on on time a little bit here, but I do want to give you the opportunity if you have anything that you would like to kind of 
express in terms of just like your views on anything regarding like strength and conditioning and the field you're in now, like, you know, the, the work that you're doing now, any message you have for anybody who's obviously listening to this podcast, whether it be young or old or anything like that. I always want to, you know, give you the opportunity to have the floor and be able to just kind of anything yeah. that you, I'm sure, cause I'm sure there's probably some things yeah. you thought about before you got yeah. in the podcast, but anything. Yeah. You know, I think, I think this is always, I love saying this, like, this is one thing I like, you know, I go by this every day. Like athletes don't care how much, you know, until they know how much you care. Sure. Right. So just like none of my clients care or know that I teach or have a master's degree or have done research or I've worked with X number of pro athletes. No one cares about that. Yeah. They only care about that. You care about them. Right. So I, I think, I think that's something that's important. Um, and then just be the best part of your client's day. Yeah. You know, yeah. like you only see them an hour, like make that hour the, you know, like I always give this example, like when you go to Disney world, you're happy, yeah. you know, like some, you're something, something special. Like you feel really good. Like when you go there and, and, you know, make your clinic, make your gym Disney world. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> Disney world at the gym. No doubt. I like that. You know? Yeah. Right. yeah. Just think it, let that sink in. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Nah, that is good. I like that. I'm going to have to start using that for sure. Um, but it's, it's good perspective for sure. Cause I think that that's, that's something I think we take for granted sometimes. Like we think like they may not be recognizing, but it's like, you know, Hey, uh, they want to, you want to, you want them to feel the moment that they had with you obviously earlier in that day and be able to carry that with them for the rest of their day. So, um, yeah, that's awesome. So, uh, last question. Are you, uh, I'm assuming you're, you're an Eagles fan Is that, uh, go birds. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just wanted to hear "Go Birds." That's all. I was, I was hoping you say. I didn't want to say it first. I was like, I was just like, you know what? I just want to, I just want to hear yep. him say it. But yeah, no, yep. I feel feeling pretty good about this weekend. It should be a fun. Oh game. yes. Okay, hundred percent, hundred percent. And then uh, Phillies, Phillies, they're gonna run it back, or what are we gonna do? Yeah, I mean, they got the best shortstop in the game now. So yeah, I like that kid. Yeah, that's a major upgrade. Trey Turner is gonna be really good for them, man. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean they got they got a good team, good pitching. I was devastated, man. I was God, devastated. Guys, that's the bats. Oh, that was tough. That was brutal. That was tough. Brutal. I mean, it just for so many reasons, mostly because of the fact that they were just easily the most fun team to watch in the playoffs. And I was like, I just want this fun yeah. to like to come to completion in the right way, kind yeah. of thing. You know what I mean? But and and the just Astros, because it's the Astros. Yeah, the Astros. The Astros were a good team, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. You know, tip, tip your cap to them. But, yeah. Um, yeah. We'll see. See how see how uh, next year goes. Yeah. No, it'll be fun. Well, listeners, we'll catch you guys next time. Rob, thank you again. Appreciate it.